We're continuing our study on life-changing biblical principles. These are truths in the Bible that literally can change your life if you apply them. Now, these truths are probably truths you already know, not necessarily something new to you, but I found many believers understand them and know them, but do not apply them. If you apply these to your everyday decisions and decisions you make in life, it literally can change your life. These are great truths, and today we'll look at the principle of temporal versus eternal. The principle of temporal versus eternal. I read the other day the best-selling new cars are the cars that have a long warranty on it. The standard warranty on new cars, I think, is three years, 35,000 miles. But if you pay a little extra, you can get up to 10 years. But many dealerships now are providing a lifetime warranty that if you can plan to keep your car in length of time, it's, it seems wise to do that and get that one that lasts longer, not just a temporary one and since three years, but a lifetime one, so like a wiser decision. And this morning I'd like to talk about something that's temporary to something that's eternal. And I'd like to begin talking about, first of all, number one, the fleeting versus the forever. We're going to get three things this morning, the fleeting versus forever, the temporal versus eternal, and the foolish versus the wise. So let's begin with the first one, the fleeting versus forever. And again, I hope you use a Bible. There should be one there in front of you in the seat. There's usually a hymnal or a Bible. It's a black one. It's a Bible. I'll be calling page numbers for those who are using a church Bible who can follow along. Many of the scriptures will be on the screen. Some of them we're going to turn to together because I want you to see it for yourself in the Bible. And first of all, notice our time on earth is fleeting. Time and realize life on earth is very short. As you get older, it seems like the shorter it is. When you're young, it seems like it's going to be forever. But you get older, you say, where in the world has time gone? And so there are three things the Bible likens our life on earth like to show that it's fleeting. First of all, it says our life is like a shadow. Our life is like a shadow. In 1 Chronicles 29, 15, our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. We're not going to live forever on this earth. And compared to eternity, you may live 60, 70 years on this earth, but my friend, it's just like a shadow, here and gone. In Psalm 102, verse 11, David said, My days are like a shadow that declineth, and I am withered like grass. In Psalm 144, verse 4, David said, Man is like to vanity, because his days are as a shadow that passes away. So basically, God likens your life on this earth as a shadow here and then gone. Next, a life is short like the width of a hand. Our life here on earth is fleeting because it's short like the width of a hand. In Psalm 39, verse 5, it said, Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth. And my age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. What is a handbreadth? A handbreadth is a form of measurement used in Bible times. Basically, it's the distance between the end of your thumb to the end of your finger. So how long is your life on earth? There it is. <laughs> that long. That's the measurement God gives because a life on earth is as a shadow, is fleeting, and like the distance between your thumb and your little finger it is a, as a hand breath. Also, it's fleeting because it appears for a little time. A life on earth appears 
for a little time. James chapter 4, a familiar verse. It says, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then what? Vanished away. But the other day, my wife was boiling some eggs. And I noticed the steam coming up from the pot, and I was reminded, there goes my life. <laughs> it's just a vapor, here and gone. So basically, Christian, a life on earth is fleeting. It's like a shadow. It's just that much. It's like a vapor that appears for a short time. However, our time in heaven's forever. Our time in heaven's forever. The Bible says, please listen. When you put your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ, your Savior, the Bible says God gives you everlasting life. Now, how long is everlasting life? That's not a uh, trick question. It's life that lasts forever. Let me give a quick illustration. When I first saw this, it really helped me understand how to have eternal life. Look here, please. I like to let my left hand represent everyone here today. Let my wallet represent sin. According to the Bible, we all have sin. We all have sin. So here we are. We all have sin on us. No one's perfect. We all have sin. The Bible says it comes short of the glory of God. But the Bible says God loves us, but he hates our sin. He loves sinners. I'm so glad that's me. He loves me, but he hates my sin. And the reason God hates sin, because sin keeps you out of heaven. To go to heaven, you have to be without sin. Not one sin will ever enter the presence of God. The problem is I'm not without sin. We all have sin. We all have sin on us. And because we've sinned, the Bible defines sin as the transgression of God's laws. We've all broken God's laws. And the Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. So as a sinner, if you die to pay for your sin, you have to die and go to hell to do it. The third thing we need to understand is no matter how good you try to be, you can never be good enough to go to heaven. People think, well, if I, pile up, if I go to church, live a good life, pile up a lot of good works in my life, maybe I might be good enough to go to heaven. Nothing wrong with good works, but it will not pay for your sin and never make you good enough to go to heaven because heaven's a perfect place. And you must be perfect to enter heaven. And we're not, we all have what? So we're all sinners. We all owe a penalty. And my friend, we cannot save ourselves. But here's the good news. God says, I'm going to use, maybe your name is Bill, Bill Fold. I don't know. God says, he says, Bill, I love you. But Bill, I hate your sin. And Bill, if you die to pay for your sin, you have to go to hell to do it. But Bill, I'm going to provide a substitute. I'm going to send my son to pay the penalty for you. And so God loved us so much, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, of this hand represent him, who came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and then he died on the cross. When he died on the cross, when he did, he took that which separates us from uh, him upon himself. Though he knew no sin, he became sin for us. God took our sin and laid it on Christ. And while on the cross bearing our sin and shame, God the Father punished him for what we've done wrong. My friend, your sin debt was paid in full by Jesus Christ. He died for you. He was buried. He rose again. And God said, if you would believe when he did that, he did that for you and trust him to be your savior. To realize you cannot save yourself, but trust Christ. And God looks upon you as though if you never sinned. And when I understood that for the first time, you know what I did? I trusted Christ as my savior. And the Bible says when you do that, he gives you everlasting life. How many know John 3.16? A familiar verse. In fact, you see the references in many football games. It says, for God so loved the... Well, that's you. 
that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Let me give you three things about everlasting life. First of all, everlasting life is a present possession. For those who believe, those who've trusted Christ as Savior, for those of you that realize you cannot save yourself and trust Christ to save you, eternal life is a present possession. In John 6, 47, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath, that means possessors right now, everlasting life. So when does God give you everlasting life? The moment you believe. So if you've trusted Christ as Savior, right now you have everlasting life. It's a present possession. Next, it is promised by God. It's promised by God. In Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. God made a promise before he ever created this world that all those who would trust Christ as Savior, he would give eternal life. And God promised it, and guess what? God cannot lie. It's not only a present possession promised by God, but also it's protected or secured by God. In John 10, 28, Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So once you're saved, the Bible says you're saved forever. It's not temporary life or probationary life. It's eternal life. So basically, our time on earth, 60 or 70, 80 years, is fleeting. But our time in heaven is forever. The contrast between fleeting and forever. Basically, your life on earth is like when you go to the beach and you pick up one grain of sand compared to the rest of the beach. Your life on earth compared to heaven is like that one grain of sand. But the problem is, the tragedy is, so many of us are living for the fleeting and not the forever. Notice, if you would please go down to 1 Timothy, please. 1 Timothy, this wonderful truth of eternal life is something the Bible says we should lay hold of. And page 1673, please. A truth of which we are to lay hold of, the Bible says. I'll explain it to you when we get there. 1 Timothy chapter 6, please, verse 11. 1 Timothy is right before 2 Timothy, if that's helpful, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 6, please, verse 11. Here Paul is speaking to a young man who is a preacher. And he says, verse 11, 1 Timothy 6, 11, But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Verse 12, fight the good fight. And he goes on to say, lay hold on what? Eternal life, whereunto thou hast also called, has professed a good profession before many witnesses. What are you saying here? He's not saying, hold on, because you're going to lose it. You can't lose it. I'm going to heaven. Not, I'm secure not because I hold on to God, because God holds on to me. But, but basically, the idea of hold on means to grip or seize. Paul is here admonishing Timothy to get a grip on the reality of matters associated with eternal life so that he would live and minister with a heavenly and eternal perspective. I was take this truth that you have eternal life and make it part of your life. Make decision in your life be affected by that great truth. So number one, we looked at the fleeting versus the forever. Number two, now look at the temporal versus the eternal. The temporal 
versus eternal. Go back to 2 Corinthians, if you would please. Page 1627, if you lost the page. The temporal versus eternal. Look in verse 17, please. Verse 17 said, Paul said, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not to the things which are seen, but to the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let me give you two things that are temporal mentioned here. First of all, our physical afflictions. Our physical afflictions. He says our light affliction, which is but for a moment. And the word affliction refers to the sufferings, the problems we have for serving the Lord. If you get a chance to read 2 Corinthians 11, you see all that Paul went through for serving Christ. All the sufferings and anguish and tribulation, persecution he went through because of his testimony for Christ. And what he's saying here, our affliction on earth is but for a moment. Because a life on earth is fleeting, the same can be said of affliction. How many are grateful that your physical affliction is but for a moment? And that's how true that is. The word moment means momentarily, temporary, or brief. So that's one thing is temporal. The next thing, it says the things which we can see. The things which we can see are temporal. It brings that up again in verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. That means things that are tangible, physical, material things of this earth. All that means your car, your house, your clothes, even your body is physical, is temporal. It will not last forever. And basically, uh, we are to look at not the temporal things, but the eternal things. Anything you can see with your eyes, my friend, is temporal, is fleeting. It will pass. Now let's look at the things which are eternal. We're looking at the, the contrast between the temporary, the temporal, and the eternal. Let me give you two things that are eternal. First of all, the believer's condition in heaven. The believer's condition, we may use the word our home in heaven, is eternal. The believer's condition in heaven. It says there in verse Verse uh, 18, it said, for our light affliction, which but for a moment, uh, it says, worketh forth a far more exceeding and eternal weight of what? Glory. Basically, it's saying here, if you're persecuted, you go through persecution, suffering for te- testimony for Christ, my friend, it's working something for you. The word worketh means results in an eternal weight in glory. It's a glorious condition into which is appointed and promised to Christians who serve the Lord. Basically, one day, though your physical affliction but for a moment, it's achieving for you a great glorious time in heaven, a glorious entrance in heaven, eternal weight of glory. Romans 8, 17 says this, And if children, talking about children of God, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. In other words, though my afflictions are momentary, my time in heaven, the glorious time we have there is forever. That's something that's eternal. Another thing that's eternal is the things you cannot see. The things you cannot see. We saw the things which are seen are temporal, the things which you cannot see. What is it we cannot see? 
the rewards and treasures in heaven. Here's what the Bible's saying. First of all, listen carefully, please. Heaven is not a reward. Heaven is a gift. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life. So you don't earn eternal life. You don't earn heaven. It's given freely at the expense of Christ. But if you're saved, if you live your life for Jesus Christ, you serve the Lord, you are laying up treasures in heaven. You're storing rewards in heaven. I've never seen my rewards, but I believe that. The things which are not seen are eternal. So basically, up here, you can live for the things of this world that are fleeting and temporal, or you can live for the things of heaven that are forever and eternal. The choice is yours, like that warranty. Why would you want a three-year when you have a lifetime? Why would you want something that's temporal when you have something that's eternal? That's what uh, he offers. Now look at the proper focus here. Look again, if you will please, in the, that latter verse there. It says there, it says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. The word look means to fix one's eyes upon to direct one's attention to. In other words, your focus. As a Christian, your focus in everyday life should not be the things of this world that are fleeting, temporal, and will pass. Your focus should be the, the rewards and riches of heaven. That's what he's saying here. Our focus should be on the exceeding and eternal weight of glory and the eternal rewards of heaven. And give you a biblical example. Go with me now, please, to the book of Hebrews. Keep your finger in Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4. But now to Hebrews 11, please, page 1694. There's a man by the name of Moses. You ever heard of Moses before? <laughs> who's a wonderful example of a person whose focus in life was not what the world offered him, but the riches and glory of heaven itself. Hebrews 11, please. Hebrews 11, verse 24. This is an amazing testimony of this man. Hebrews 11, verse 24. What's the first two words? By faith. By faith, Moses, when he come to years, refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. According to these two verses, there are four things that Moses rejected to serve the Lord. First of all, he rejected the position. It says there in verse 24, he refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. Historians, though it's not mentioned in Scripture, historians believe that the Pharaoh at that time did not have any sons. All he had was a daughter. And the daughter had one child, his adopted child, named Moses. So Moses was in line to be the next Pharaoh of Egypt. That position, probably the most powerful position on the earth at that time. So with that position came power. He, he, he rejected position and power, but also he rejected pleasure. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So he rejected power. He rejected position. He rejected pleasure and possessions. All the riches of Egypt could have been his. He gave all that up to serve the Lord. It said he refused those. Why? Why would he do that? Now, from a human perspective, that seems kind of, can I use the word stupid? Why would he give that up and choose suffering? Why? 
Read the next verse. Verse 26. It says, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. In other words, why did he give up fame, fortune, power, and pleasure and suffer with God's people? Because he believed the treasures of heaven, the riches of heaven, were much more valuable than the riches of this earth. He gave up all that because he believed what God had from heaven was far greater. How many believe the riches of heaven, the treasures of heaven, are greater than the treasure of this earth? Amen. Are you living for that? The sad thing is, listen to me, so many Christians are living for what the world offers them. All the world has here, the physical possessions, which are temporary and fleeting, and they're going to live forever in heaven, and God said, I have rewards for you in heaven if you serve me. So he chose rather to suffer affliction with people of God and enjoy the pleasure of season. Why? The latter part says there, because he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. The word respect has ided, turning his eyes away from the things of Egypt, the things of heaven. He believed that what God offered him in heaven, the rewards there. Now, remember, heaven's not a reward, it's a gift. But once he got there, the treasures of heaven were far greater than treasures of Egypt. So he gave up all the world offered him to gain what God offered him. There's a man, basically his focus in life was heaven, the riches of heaven. Number three. Now we looked at the fleeting versus the forever. We looked at the temporary, the temporal versus the eternal. Now let's look at the foolish versus the wise. The foolish versus the wise. Go with me now to the book of Luke, please. Everybody turn with me, if you would, please. Luke chapter 12, page 1456. Luke chapter 12. Here's an amazing story about a man who was very successful in the eyes of the world. Luke chapter 12. First of all, we're going to look at a, what the Bible calls a foolish man. Luke 12. Look with me in verse 15, please. Luke 12, 15. Jesus was speaking here. He said, take heed and beware of covetousness. For man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. What is covetousness? Basically, it's always wanting more. Never satisfied, never can all, content, always wanting more. I want a bigger house. I want a nicer car. I want more of this, more of that covetousness. And Jesus says a man's life consists not of things he possesses. In other words, life is more than stuff. I, I saw a bumper sticker. In fact, I couldn't believe the guy did it. He had a car, probably a, a car that had six figures. I mean, a very expensive car. And he put on the back of the car, basically, he who dies with the most toys wins. And he was driving one of those toys. In other words, he that dies with the most stuff wins. That's the philosophy of this world. Get all the stuff you can, and you'll be very successful. And Christ says that's covetousness. And basically, your life consists more than just stuff, people. Let's read on. Look what it says in verse 16. He, now he tells a story called a parable to illustrate a truth. In verse 16, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, 
The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. I will bestow all my uh, fruits there. I will bestow all my fruits and goods. I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And look in verse 20. And God said unto him, Thou what? Look up here, please. This man achieved what we would call the American dream. People want to come to America to make all kind of money, to make enough they can retire early and sit back and eat, drink, and be merry. I got all I need. That's this man. This man was very wealthy. He said a certain rich man. He didn't say a certain poor man. He was already rich. And he, his, his uh, crop brought forth plentifully. Let me give you three reasons why this man was foolish, called a fool. First of all, he centered his life around himself. He centered his life around himself. Notice how many times you see the word I here. Look in verse 17 again. And he thought within himself, basically after his ground brought forth fruit plentifully. Verse 17, then he said within himself, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. Verse 18. Then he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. There will I bestow all my fruits and goods. Verse 21, so he that layeth up treasure for himself. His focus was not on others, but himself only. He already had plenty. He wanted more. And so basically, he had no thought regard for others. He centered his life around himself. Number two, the second reason this man was foolish he considered the items he possessed as his own. He considered the items he possessed as his own. Before I go any further, I want to share with you later, but I believe this man was saved. This was an illustration of a saved man, not a lost man. I'll tell you why in just a moment. But this man centered life around himself and considered the items he possessed as his own. Look what he said in verse 18. Look for the word my. Verse 18, he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns, and there will bestow all my fruits and my goods. Last couple of weeks, we talked about the principle of ownership. By the way, who owns your barns and your fruits? God does, not you. He considered those his and not God's. So he turned his life around himself. He considered the items which he owned and possessed his own. And next, he concentrated on the temporal, not the eternal. His focus was on the temporal. Not the eternal. He concentrated on the temple. Verse 18, notice his first focus was his temporal possessions, the fleeting. Verse 18, he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns, build greater. They will bestow my fruits and my goods. His focus was barns. Did you notice he already had a barn full of stuff? And he got more and said, I'll tear down my barns and build greater ones. His focus was on the temple, the fleeting, barns, fruits, and goods. His focus also was his temporary life on earth. His temporal life on earth. Verse 19. I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast goods laid up for many years. He said, take thy ease, eat, drink, and what? His focus in life, he not only thought only of himself. He not only considered his items his own. His, his focus was on temporal possession, temporal life. 
Now, God called this man a what? A fool. Now, let me tell you why I think this man was saved. Though the Bible doesn't say he was saved, this is an I think. I always try to separate thus saith the Lord from thus saith the pastor, okay? But listen carefully, please. Why do I think this man was saved? Listen carefully, please. If you can catch this, it would the greatest thing you can learn today. As a Christian, your life on earth, the 60, 70 years you have here, is the worst you're ever going to know it. Because when you die, you're going to go to heaven. Ever thought about that? No matter what this life, though, full of afflictions, maybe whatever your life is characterized on earth as a believer, this is the worst you're ever going to know it. Because you die, you get to go to heaven and be there for eternity. However, for the unsaved, life on earth is the best he's ever going to know it. Because when he dies, he's going to go to hell. And so, for the unsaved, if he refuses to trust Christ, and will go to hell for that. For the unsaved, it would be very wise for him to store up all he can on this earth. To build up everything and make this life the best he can, because when he dies, he's going to hell. But for the believer to focus all your attention on this life is very foolish. This is I believe this man was saved. Because God called this man not a wise man, but a what? A fool. Now, that's different from our worldly philosophy. This world says, get all you can get. And store it up and get some more. So this man, from the world's perspective, he was successful. He's very smart. However, God called this man a fool. How about you? What are you living for? Are you living for material possessions, the things that are fleeting, or for the uh, eternal? Look what it says in verse 20. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Otherwise, you're going to leave it behind. Somebody else is going to enjoy it. It says in Psalm 39, verse 6, Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. And it says, verse 1, So he that layeth up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. Let me give you a proper balance, okay? Look up here, please. Don't miss this. Is it wrong? Is God saying it's wrong to plan for the future? Is it wrong for you to plan for retirement? Not at all. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, do not turn there. In Proverbs 6, it says this. He says, speaking to a slugger, a man who fused the work and planned for the future. He says, go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gather her food in the harvest. Basically, sluggard, those of you who don't plan for the future, go to the ant. An ant has no overseer, has no one to tell him what to do. However, when during harvest time, he gathers as much as he can and stores it up for winter time. I think it's very wise for a Christian that you plan for the future. That if you have a job of good retirement, that's good to have. If you don't have a good retirement, maybe do some investment so when you come to a place you can't work anymore, you can still provide for your family. That's wise. But this man went overboard. He already had a barns filled with food. He got more and said, I'll tear down my barns and build greater ones. He never stopped and said, Lord, what would you have me to do with this extra? I got more than I need. Uh, what do you want me to do with this? All he thought of was what? Me, myself, and I. And what's tragic, my friend, many Christians the same way. They live their life for themselves, for material possessions, 
for things that are fleeting and never get thought to others, never give thought to what God would have them to do and how to live their life. That was the foolish man. Now, let me give you a fact. In Proverbs 10, 5, it says, He that gathereth for the su- in the summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in the harvest is a son that causes shame. So we saw the foolish man. Now look at the wise man. The wise man. Let me share a quote with you. You ever heard of Jim Elliott? He was a missionary in the 1950s. He was, uh, died because of his, uh, his testimony for Christ. He said, he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Think about that. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep. What is that? Any earthly material goods. Many people go into missions who give up a good-paying job, give up a home here in the States, and go to a foreign country to live among people that have very little. They give up that which they cannot keep to gain that which they cannot lose. Because God's going to bless them with glorious riches in heaven. Matter of fact, that man's not a fool. Three things about a wise man. First of all, a wise man stores his treasures in heaven. A wise man stores his treasure in heaven. We already saw that he laid up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. Go now to Matthew 6, please. A few more verses, and we'll wrap it up. Matthew 6, page 1349, please. Matthew 6. A wise man, Christian that is, stores his treasures in heaven, not on the earth. A familiar passage, but boy, it fits right in with this Luke the parable of the rich man. In Luke 6, I'm sorry, Matthew 6, verse 19. Matthew 6, 19. Here speaking to believers. Look what God says to Christians. Christ said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves can break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. Basically, don't store up treasures that are fleeting, that are temporary. Store up treasures in heaven that are eternal. How do you do that? By living for Christ, by serving the Lord, getting involved with ministries. In fact, Luke 12, this goes right along with the parable of the rich man there. He said in verse 33, he says, sell that you have and give alms. Would you got extra stuff? Sell it, take the money, and, and use it for righteous deeds for, in the ministry. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth crutcheth. In other words, live your life for the Lord. Serve the Lord. Live for eternal values, not temporal. So what makes this man wise? He stored his treasure in heaven. Next, he seeks eternal riches. He seeks eternal riches. Go me now, now to Colossians, please. A couple more verses and we'll be done this morning. Colossians, page 1659. You got awful quiet on me. Don't let me lose you now. I'm just about done. You may pass you should have been done a while, while ago. <laughs> Don't let me lose you. Colossians 3. In verse 1. A wise man stores his treasure in heaven. A wise man seeks eternal riches. Look what he says in Paul speaking here. In chapter 3, Colossians 3, verse 1. 
He said, if ye then be risen with Christ, as a term, basically, since you're saved, what should you do? Seek those things which are where? Above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. In other words, seek means to strive for. A wise man will not seek to the things of this earth. He will seek to store up treasures in heaven, treasures above. Uh, a good example of that will not turn there is Abraham. Abraham, it says in chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after received, obeyed and went out not knowing whether he went. But basically he left his friends, his family, and home. Went to a place he did not know where he was going. It's like a missionary, doesn't it? But it goes on to say, for he looked for a city which had foundations whose builder and maker is God. His focus was not on some city on this earth, but that of heaven, of heaven itself. Not the fleeting, but the forever. So a wise man stores up treasures in heaven. He seeks eternal riches. And lastly, he sets his affection on heavenly rewards. He sets his affection on heavenly rewards. And we saw verse 1, seek those things which are above. Now look in verse 2. Set your affection on things, what? Above, not on things of this earth. means to direct one's attention and interest. Of. The problem is, Christian, our affection on what this world provides, what we can have physically on this earth. A wise man will not store up rewards on this earth, but rewards in heaven. He will seek heavenly treasures and set his affection what God offers him. Listen very carefully and I'll close. The alluring temporal and plastic substitutes of this world, supplied by an unhealthy attachment to material things, pale into worthlessness when compared to the eternal treasures and riches offered to Christ by God to those who serve him. You ever heard this phrase? This life on earth will soon be past. Only one is done for Christ will what? Last. So Christian, be wise. Live for the eternal, not the temporal. Live for the forever and not the fleeting. Close your Bibles, please. Look up here. We looked at three things this morning in contrast. We looked at the fleeting versus forever. What is the fleeting? Our life on earth. Possessions on earth. What is the eternal? Life in heaven and rewards in heaven. So Christian, why in the world would you spend all your time, your thoughts, your money, and energy on something that's fleeting, passing, and temporal? Why not spend it on things that are eternal and serve the Lord? We looked at the temporary, the temporal versus the eternal. The eternal rewards of heaven, God offers those who serve him. Now, let me close with this. This morning I've been speaking to Christians. In fact, God calls the Christian who sinks the things of this world to neglect the things of heaven, God called him a what? A fool. I wonder how many fools we have here today. Because your life is centered around all that this world offers you. In fact, you have no time to serve the Lord because you're paying for the nice things you got on this earth. You have no time to serve the Lord because you're enjoying the things that the world provides for you. God calls that man a fool because he's focused his attention on the things of this earth to neglect the things of heaven. But maybe there's someone here today 
who's never trusted Christ as Savior. And remember very carefully, heaven, eternal life, is not a reward. You don't earn it. You don't merit it. You don't gain it by the deeds you do. It's given to us freely at the expense of Christ. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sin, God the Father now offers you forgiveness, eternal life, and a home in heaven at the expense of his son. Our part is by faith, receive him. Believe when Christ died, he died for you, and trust him to be your savior. When you do that, he gives you what kind of life? Eternal life. So my friend, have you ever trusted Christ to be your savior? Have you ever by faith received him as one who died for you so you can go to heaven? If not, why not do that today? Let's bow together, please. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, again, Christian, the message today was for you of applying the biblical principle of the temporal versus the eternal. I wonder how many Christians here today have been living for the temporal. Your focus in life has been the fleeting, the temporal. In a sense, if you, by doing so, God says that's very foolish. I wonder if God spoke to someone today about their focus, about their tension, about their time, what they're doing with their life as a believer. How many say, Pastor, I am a Christian. But Pastor, this message was for me. My focus has been that, like the world. I've been focused on what this world offers me and given very little attention or time given to that of Christ. And Pastor, I need to make some changes. Pastor, would you pray for me? If that's your, this morning, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning? And we're all, yes, there's several here today. God bless you all over. Pastor, help. I want to pray that I get my eyes off the temporary and get it on the eternal. Anyone else real quickly? All right. Heads are bowed and eyes still closed. My friend, if you're here today and you never received Christ as Savior, that's the most important decision you can make in life. Right now, you can trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and thereby he'll forgive you and give you everlasting life. And heaven will become your home at the expense of Christ. If you have never done that before, why not do it right now? Why not talk to God right where you're sitting in the quietness of your mind? Talk to the God and place your trust, your faith, in his Son to be your Savior. Say, Pastor, how do I do that? Talk to God. Say something like this as you talk to him in your own thoughts. Just say, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge, I admit that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned, I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe that Jesus Christ was punished in my place. The judgment that I deserve, Jesus took upon himself. And there on the cross, I believe he suffered and bled and died for me. He died for me. He was buried and he rose again. And God, realizing I cannot save myself, I'm trusting Christ to save me, forgive me, and to give me eternal life. How again, God, I'm a sinner, but I believe that Christ died for my sin, and I'm trusting him to forgive me and give me eternal life. My friend, heads are bowed, knives are closed. My friend, if you pray that prayer today, you trust Christ, right now, heaven's your home. It's a present possession for all who believe. But if you did that today for the first time, I'd like to know that. I want to pray for you also. So with heads bowed and eyes are closed, no one look around. If what I said made sense to you and you prayed, you trusted Christ as your Savior. But it's simply, right we at? Raise your hand and put it back down so I can pray for you also. I'm not going to have you forward to point you. I just want to pray for you. I want it all. Pastor, here's my hand. I've trusted Christ. Would you pray for me? 
no one at all. Father in heaven, we thank you that so many believers today have acknowledged that they have been living for the wrong thing, but now they desire to live for eternal values, not temporal. I pray, Father, to help them to focus on their time, talent, and treasure, and how they're using it. Are they using it for themselves? Are they using it for the Lord? Are they using their time for you, their talents for you? Lord, you promised to bless us and give us eternal rewards for those who serve you with their lives. I pray, Father, that you would, this would be a truth that would change us tremendously. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.